Undad is part of the Alberta Podcast Network and is powered by ATB. Hi, everybody. My name is Trent Wilkie, and this is the Undad Podcast. This is a podcast about being a parent in this bizarro modernity. Also, it's about teamwork, because how else are you going to make a dream work? Hey, you dingleberries. This episode is titled It's like nothing else. Uh, could you introduce yourself, please? I'm Elizabeth Wilkie. I'm your wife. What? Elizabeth, um, you are my top top seven favorite people in the world. You're welcome. Did you always want to be a parent? No. Tell me a bit about that. I didn't imagine that I would ever have the opportunity to be in a relationship for a long enough time or be healthy enough to have children. Um, so it was never, it was never really a priority. It was. What do you like? Tell me a bit about that. Like healthy enough. What does healthy enough mean? Like what is what does that mean to you? Well, most of my life I have battled chronic illness. I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome when I was 12 years old and fibromyalgia when I was 16. And I spent most of junior high and high school in bed or in and out of doctor's appointments or hospitals. I missed 80% of my classes during that time frame. I was sleeping anywhere from 16 to 22 hours a day for months at a time uh, over years and that has continued on and off mm -hmm. um, although most of my adult life it's been manageable mm -hmm. I've mostly only had enough energy to focus on my career mm -hmm. and it wasn't until meeting you that the idea of having children was something that I considered uh, it to a point that I thought it could be something that I could pursue and be successful at and have enough energy to be able to have a job and a family and a partner. Yeah. So full disclosure, you are, you and I are in a relationship. We have pair bonded as uh, scientists say we've coupled, we have, um, we have um, had offspring two of them um, the thing that I want to say to you is that you're a you're a smooth talking lady I can't tell that you're sick sometimes I can't tell that you're going through a daily battle and sometimes I forget 
all of the stuff that you went through. How does that pop up in work for you? Does that pop up in everyday life? Or is this something that you just sort of like been able to cope with? I think it pops up more in my personal life than it does in my work world. Mm -hmm. There's this uh, theory that a woman on social media developed called the spoon theory. Mm -hmm. And basically the idea is that you can apply it to any chronic illness and you start each day with a certain amount of spoons and you allocate a spoon for each task, waking up, showering, getting dressed, eating. And so it might be that the act of waking up only takes half a spoon, but getting dressed takes one. But if you shower and do your hair, it's another two spoons. So let's say that in a day you have 12 spoons. You've used three just getting out of bed. Why do you think spoons is the iconography? Why do you think spoons is the... I think it was, uh, it started, though I believe that the woman was sitting having lunch with a friend. And it was something that was readily available. Oh, to so just... she was describing it. It's like, this is what's in front of me. Here, yeah. let, me, let, me, let me paint this picture for you using what we have in front of us right now. Absolutely. So, okay. so I'm going to use this spoon to wake up and this spoon to have a shower and this spoon to have, uh, you know, do my hair and then this spoon to feed my kids. And then, you know, I'm four spoons in the day and I only have eight left. Mm -hmm. And I know that uh, probably around my fourth, third, fourth year of university, I figured out how to allocate my spoons so that I could get up and stay functional, mostly on adrenaline, mm -hmm. until the end of my work day. Yeah. I didn't really ever figure out how to navigate the transition between work to social life or social life to... I don't know, extracurricular activities particularly well, but yeah. I figured out how to do work. And I like to tell people that try to compare me to other people that they know with chronic illness or, or fibromyalgia specifically, yeah. um, that I ended up being hit with this mind-numbing fatigue and... Uh, challenges with my range of motion and uh, just pain that feels sometimes like my skin's on fire. First time that I saw you crying in the shower, I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to deal with it um, because a lot of people don't know about what you're describing right now. They don't know about it. Well, I think the I think the challenge with both chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia is that they have. It's only been in the last 20 years mm -hmm. that um, it's more publicly accepted mm -hmm. as a legitimate illness or disorder. Mm -hmm. um, prior to that, and I think still to some extent, there's doctors that label it as a psychological disorder. Uh, much but is that not irrelevant? If it, if it is a disorder, is it not a disorder? Why no. does it have to be like a... I think it's... I think it's that much of the diagnosis comes from uh, elimination of other disorders. Okay. There's no one, uh, there's, not a, there's not a blood test that you can take. There's not a mm -hmm. urine analysis that will determine, yes, you have chronic fatigue syndrome, or yes, you have fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. It's having some, but not all, of the symptoms that have been categorized for both illnesses. And there's still some 
thought that it's the same illness. It's just representing differently in people. Mm -hmm. So what I was trying to get to... Before I interrupted you. Yeah. I'm really good at that, by the way. Some would say it's my superpower. When people compare me to somebody else that has that they know that has experienced fibromyalgia or experienced chronic fatigue, and then, mm -hmm. you know, I tell them about what it was like when I was a teenager, or I talk about the period of time where I had to walk with a cane, or the extended periods of time where I was bedridden. Is the reality is that hit me at a time where I was I was going through puberty, I was shifting into adolescence, and that was already a wild ride. The doctors were able to come to the criteria. What I'm saying is that people now in my adult life who see me functioning as an adult, yeah. in a, as in a professional who works long hours and puts all of the energy possible into work and or being a parent, yeah. when they compare me to somebody who has fibromyalgia that they know, yeah. they can't compare the two. And what I try to explain to people is that it hit me at a time in my life where I had never, I never had an opportunity to experience adult life without pain. I never experienced adult life without fatigue. I never experienced adult life without confusion. I never experienced adult life without a low grade fever. I never, you know, I, mm -hmm. being an adult is just this because that's what puberty was for me was mm -hmm. transitioning from being, healthy and active I was I was a competitive gymnast and I was in synchronized um, in synchronized swimming and on the basketball team and the volleyball team and I played badminton and I was an honor school student and in the choir and played in the school band and, and then it all just yeah I, I woke up one day with uh, something that seemed like the flu and a week later my parents were having to shake me in order to um, try and just get me to just function long enough to have lunch or dinner or breakfast, and then I would go back to sleep. And How did your parents go? That's uh, tough. That's a, like the knuckleball of knuckleballs. I don't. I don't have a lot of recollection uh, okay. of it. Yeah. I think it must have been devastating. I think that you know, I I hear stories about what it was like when I first got sick and. Some days I'd be so tired that I couldn't remember who I was or where I lived or how to spell or um, Jurassic Park came out uh, mm -hmm. sometime in the first couple of years after I got sick. And my the mom... Toronto Raptors noticed that movie too. <laughs> my parents tell this uh, story. Basically, my mom would have to leave the house mm -hmm. and she would just put Jurassic Park on for me again. But I wouldn't remember that I had seen you it. You hate horror movies, though. You hate scary movies. Jurassic Park's not a horror movie. It's scary as shit, dude. When was the last time you saw it? Sometime mm, in the last few years. We went and saw the new Jurassic Park. Yeah. It's... And it wasn't scary. What? It was cheesy. Huh? Very cheesy. What? All right, go on. I don't like horror. I don't like blood and guts and, and like, slashers. and. There were people eaten off of toilets. In Jurassic Park. But there were dinosaurs. That could happen. Well, not, not, okay, not the whole so, Jurassic Park so thing So you think happen. dinosaurs... I'm just teasing you. I do think dinosaurs are weird. Mm. They fair. roamed the flat earth. Yeah. Wait. Uh, one sec. I think we're going to have a, uh, a celebrity guest join us. Come on down, Meatball.
one of the things about being a parent is there's gray areas in which you try to fill your hobbies with. And right now, we're going to have our first celebrity interviewer. There's something really weird about my clock in the and the night. What's weird about your clock and the night? Well, the sun's up on my clock, and it's nighttime outside. Mm -hmm. So that's really weird. Were you pushing the buttons on the clock? Are you sure? I was not. And the sun came up? Yeah, when it was nighttime. It's still nighttime. Well, maybe that it's the world has changed now. Maybe this is a world that you're going to have to adapt to. Are you sure you've been pushing the buttons? Yeah, I do not. Okay. Okay. Do you want mommy to take a look at it? Yes. Do you want to go to bed? No. Huh. You what, should... would you, what would you rather be doing? No, Are you going to be able to respectively listen, and then if you have something to say, you can offer it? Okay. Okay. That involves not kicking the box below you. Yeah, because we need complete, like, as, as silent as can be. Can you do that? Uh, Elizabeth, one of the first things I noticed about you before we started dating, seriously, was you're very direct. You have a little time for for uh, small talk. Meatball. <laughs> Mommy and Daddy want to talk, okay? Because I'm recording this. This is You know Daddy's podcasts? Yes. This is going to be one of Daddy's podcasts. Oh. Okay. Is that okay with you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you want some water or anything, honey? I want some water. Okay. <laughs> Is it coming through clear? Good. Drink louder. Drink louder. Drink like a Wilkie. Yeah. That's right. Good stuff? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to continue, okay? Okay. So. Can we be nice and quiet? Yeah. You can snuggle with mommy. While we talk. Do you right? hear what I say? <clears throat> this is a silly. Why do I need to be quiet? Because I want to talk to mommy and I want to hear what mommy has to say. Oh! This is funny. So I need you to be quiet or we're okay. going to put, put you back to bed. Okay. And no more talking. Okay. For someone like yourself who's dealing with this... Life changing. <laughs> you didn't mean that, did you? For someone like yourself who's dealing with this life changing thing, what was going on in your head when you were going through this? When you were going through 16 hours of sleep, like, what were you thinking about? Oh, I wasn't. And, that, you know, to go back to what you're talking about and being direct, mm -hmm. when you're living your life in sound bites, in one hour, two hour windows between yeah. nap and you have to get all of your studying and all of your high. I know. Wait till mommy's done talking and then we'll, we'll ask you. Okay. Instead of going, psst, raise your hand. Okay. And then I'll go like this. That'll mean five minutes. Okay. And then we'll talk to you. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Mommy. So when you're living your life between sound bites, between it, what, sorry, when you're living your life in sound bites and it's, you know, you have this one hour window or this two hour window and in that two hour period you have to be, okay, so we can't do this. Yeah.
ATB is hiring. Not only were they just named number two on Canada's best places to work list, but they are also diving deep into some creative and wacky tech stuff. Not to be confused with your uncle who has decided to make his own mermaid. Not that wacky. Not that wacky at all. Anyways, check out the ATB LinkedIn page to see how you might fit in. You had tweeted about meeting your guardian angel. And that both scared me and really... I just found such an interesting thing. I don't know what that means. I didn't know what it meant. So I asked you what that meant. And what did you tell me? Well, I told you uh, that in the summer of 2011, the year I met you, so mm -hmm. that summer, I had been in a car accident. And the accident had been serious enough that the people who called it in to 911 indicated that it was probably a fatality. People were too scared to look in the window of the car that I was in. Mm -hmm. And I had been driving, but I ended up in the rear passenger seat, even though I was wearing my seatbelt, which just speaks to how the car was demolished. You and were rear-ended by a truck while you were in a, it was in a construction zone. Yes. Yeah, so uh, well, it was before a construction zone. Okay. Traffic was backed up. Stop yeah. stealing my wine. I don't think I have to. No, you could have brought your own wine to the party, but you didn't. I didn't bring my own you wine. You brought water. You can drink your water. Back off, oh. Buster. Back off. This water is so good. Mm, that's not water. That's my wine. Okay. Construction traffic was backed up past where the warning signs that said that it was a construction zone started mm -hmm. on Highway 21. And I was stopped and a fully loaded cube truck um, didn't, didn't even put his foot on the bricks, just drove straight into my car and my car started spinning and two more cars made contact with it and it ended up hitting another car in front of it by the time it was all done. And like I said, uh, people called it in right away. And I had, I was in and out of consciousness in the first bit. I, I remember the paramedics being there to cut me out of the car. I vaguely remember arriving at the U of A hospital. Um, but I had one memory of a woman's voice asking me who to call. I had this, I had this recollection of this voice asking me who to call. Mm -hmm. And uh, when... I had an opportunity to talk to the RCMP and the paramedics that were involved. Um, no one could remember a woman being in the car with me. But then in November, I was managing uh, at the Shell Theatre in Port Saskatchewan. And I was standing on the stage introducing a family series show. And after the show ended, this woman came up to me and she said, Hi, do you recognize me? And I said, No, but your voice is familiar. And she said, I was in the car with you. Well, not in the car with you, but in the car. Mm -hmm. And basically she said that she had been many, many, many cars back after the accident. And her friend had said, you need to go check on whoever's in that car. Because she was a nurse? Is that she right? was a nurse, yeah. yeah. And she was like, no, there's plenty of people ahead that will have, will be helping. And her friend was like, no, I think you need to go up there. 
And she said she got closer and closer and there was a group of people huddled by my car, but nobody had actually looked into the car. Nobody was at that time comfortable just even seeing what was going on inside. So she came up to the car and put her body in through the window and talked to me and collected information while I was still conscious. That's terrifying. It sounds very foreign, very scared to me. I don't like losing consciousness. I don't like not knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's one of the reasons when you said guardian angel, I think that was one of the things that drew me towards it because it sounded, it sounded magical, I guess. It was. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, well, she wasn't a wizard. It, it she wasn't was a, unexplained. Yeah. She was just a yeah. human who took a chance and came to me, but I didn't have an explanation for months as to who had been there and who had been comforting me and who had been reassuring me. Mm -hmm. So it was so fascinating to get to meet the voice that no one else had been able to validate as existing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and she just kept saying to me, I can't believe you're standing in front of me. She just Because she thought that you would have been... Well, everybody thought I would be quite mangled, but the only, the only injury I had, like the only physical injury that I had that was obvious like on the surface was I lost a portion of my scalp um, mm -hmm. but my soft tissue took everything I was 90 days into a 90 day hot yoga challenge and my baby my baby my body was meant to bend like a baby oh wow so thank you yoga yes wow it's almost like you prepared for it <laughs> I guess if you're going to prepare for a car accident, everybody should be doing hot yoga, I guess. <laughs> yeah, maybe. If you're driving a car in Alberta, in Canada, in the world, you should be doing hot yoga. Well, especially while you know, everybody seems to be texting and driving. Mm -hmm. If I commute to work every day, I just want to yell at everybody out my window. Mm -hmm. My kid could be in this car. Mm -hmm. Put your damn phone down. Has your perspective on the world changed since having children? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, of course it has, but are you aware of it? Like, do you... Have a cognizant before and after. Yes. I think I'm better able to prioritize. I think I am more scared and more anxious about what the future will bring. I am more precious about the good moments and I am more devastated when things don't work out. I have always been an only child and everybody always says that they can tell I'm an only child so I guess I have inherently always been a little uh, pissy when things don't go my way, but now when they don't go my way, I feel like it's an affront to my entire family and my plans for the future and my children and, you know, the dog. Yeah, the dog. Of course. I know the dog. He called me the dog's name the other day. I call everybody the dog's name. Yeah. I can't tell the kids apart at five o'clock in the morning. We were pregnant and then there was a miscarriage the first time. Well, the first time, no. So the first time we were pregnant. Yeah. Sometime around the end of the first trimester, second trimester, they commented that there was signs that there 
and there was another baby, but there was never another baby as far as we were. But there was away. discharge. There was nope. That was his second pregnancy. Oh, I thought no, it was the, the first. first two. No, because I the thought first... I thought they were both twins, and then we lost the twin of both of them. Yeah, no, the first pregnancy, the first pregnancy, there was uh, an, another umbilical cord, mm-hmm. or I don't know what you want to refer to it, in the sack mm-hmm. with the baby, okay. um, which could indicate that there was identical. Oh, I see what you're sack. saying. Yeah, that makes sense then. But, yeah. but there was never a point where there was twins for us. Like that that we're aware of. Well, while we were conscious that the babies existed, mm-hmm. there was never babies for us with the first pregnancy. Hmm. There was just signs that there may have been another baby. There may have been an identical twin, or maybe there was just an anomaly in the sack head. Life is very real with you it's always been very real there's no bullshit with you it's been a very confusing well there's sometimes but i have been you know know, when i tell you one of your memes is really good yeah 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 that's bullshit (laughs) but my life has always been subterfuge and distraction and life has always been to me not not dodging responsibility but waiting waiting for me to have to deal with responsibility but when you, when we got together and we had children and we got married, it was, there was no bullshit. My and parents didn't raise me to bullshit. Really? I can't tell. <laughs> the Back to School Again podcast is a podcast for midlife people who made the decision to return to school. They share their stories, how they balance the responsibilities of school, work and family, and where they hope their educational pursuits will take them. Back to School Again is hosted by Katrina Ingram. Katrina is passionate about the intersection of art, technology, business and education. Check it out at btsa.transistor.fm You'd mentioned that you're afraid of your concern about what is going to happen in the world because of your children. What are you most afraid of? We can't talk about war. You don't like talking about war. Oh, I'm afraid of war. I'm afraid of the environment. I can't believe that we live in a society where people talk about, oh, we got to find a way to deal with our waste, but then they buy disposable wipes and Mm -hmm. disposable antiseptic wipes and disposable toilet paper not not the not the toilet paper i know you're talking yeah just like the bum one yeah yeah, the like extra wipes baby wipes for him for for adults yeah yeah Yeah. and fun fact the word flushable it's not a controlled word yeah it's like it's like something's edible that doesn't mean you should eat it yes Mm -hmm. exactly and so i just i don't know i just I look around and I want there to be jobs and people are talking about how in 10 years from now people will have a chip in their brain. I took a change management class a couple months ago and they talked about they're 10 years away from a chip implant being available commercially mm-hmm. and everyone in the class was shocked mm. and dismayed and aghast. 
whatever word you want to apply to it. And the instructor said, you're sitting in a room with your boss and a colleague who's at the same level as you. You have opted not to get the chip and your colleague has, and your boss identifies that they have an immediate need for a couple of metrics. Mm -hmm. Your colleague can use the chip and get the answer immediately. Mm -hmm. But you have to go back to your desk. Who gets the promotion? Mm -hmm. And I just felt so overwhelmed at that idea that that could happen in the next 10 years for me during my career path. Mm -hmm. What did that mean for my kids? What did that mean? And then there are moments when I feel like that where I think, would I have felt like this before I started a battle with postpartum depression mm -hmm. and anxiety? Would I have thought that that was just unimaginable? Mm -hmm. And I think probably, but now it just fills me with such anxiety. Could, could there be a comparative analogy where 20 years ago, you and I could be having this conversation, probably over a, a tape recording, not a digital recorder, where someone is with their boss and the other person has a small little thing in their hand and their boss asks them a question, but you don't want to be attached to this small little thing in your hand, yet you're um, the person that you are vying for the same job. They have this little thing in their hand and they can use this little thing in their hand to Google whatever information their boss. Are we, is this an afraid of technology thing? Is this a, a chip is a chip. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think that I've always previously been an early adopter when it came to technology. Because you're very savvy. You know more about this stuff than I do. But now I look at how people are disconnecting with each other and how people interact with each other online and this sort of negative echo chamber that seems to just snake its way into people's lives and it people's does, psyches yeah. and you know people instead of picking up the phone and talking to each other or sitting down and writing a letter maybe they post on each other's wall or maybe they send a text message but they don't really reach out to hear each other's they voices. don't connect they don't like actually like organically connect yeah, they, yeah. Ha they have to actively connect. You know, when I was a kid, you just go next door and knock on the door. Mm -hmm. You just show up. And that doesn't seem to happen anymore. And sometimes... Fact, people prefer a text over a voice message. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm more comfortable sending a text yeah. than picking up the phone. Mm-hmm. And I worry about that. I worry about, you know, the increase in depression and the increase in suicide rates and the increase in um, 
stress leaves that work for, or, you know, that entire countries are having to regulate when cell phones can be um, accessed by an employer or when the servers can be running because they're recognizing the, the effects of this 24-hour world accessibility is yeah. having on people nobody can shut off people go on vacation and they check their emails they go on vacation they send texts like they never ever get to take a break there's no oh it's five o'clock i'm done for the day it's mm -hmm. just you know how long can i keep going how long can i keep moving forward and and i worry about what that will mean by the time our kids are no longer children or will they even have an opportunity to have children you hear facts about how by the time that someone is eight years old that they'll have been exposed to more images mm -hmm. than someone in the victorian era would have been exposed to in their entire lifetime or how uh, 200 years ago it took 100 years for the collective knowledge of the world to double mm -hmm. so that's through the location of uh, journal uh, articles that sort mm -hmm, of thing mm -hmm. uh, and currently it takes something like five or six years for the collective knowledge of the world mm -hmm. no it's two years right now it takes two years for the collective knowledge of the world to double mm -hmm. and within two years it'll be less than 24 hours so if the world is changing that fast mm -hmm. And if currently, by the time you graduate with a university degree, mm -hmm. the things you've learned in the first two years of your degree are already obsolete. Yeah. What is what does that mean? Like I, I just just a flaw in education. How do you, how do you, That's the education industry. But how do you stay relevant? How do you stay, how do you stay how do you, relevant? You, you I sucked at school. Like sucked. Um, but I'm a highly adaptable person. I don't think it's any different, in my opinion. I think we use, I think we have the same worries that every parent has. And there's no shame in that. There's no wrong in that. There's no folly in any of that. It shows a concern. At the same time, Progress is progress. Evolution is evolution. By the time our kids are dealing with social media problems, the earth may not even be the earth anymore. We may be setting up colonies on the moon. Who knows? Like, as of 25 years ago, there are things we're dealing with now that people can't, can't even conceive now. Uh, when was the iPhone made? 2000. 2009, whenever that was, anthropo anthropologists are going to be studying. Anthropologists are going to be studying the detachment in families and personal interaction because of that. We have laws now because of the iPhone. Driving, distracted driving. You brought that up. There were cell phones before the iPhone. But never like the iPhone. They were never as, as intuitive and as functional as an iPhone. An iPhone's a computer. The cell phones before that were cell phones. You could text, you could call, you got a flip. Yeah, this is that and the other. I could play a video game, watch a movie. 
sexed myself, take some dick pics. Like these are all of like, I can do everything I want. And that is the technological advancement that is also a detriment. But we can cope with that. Uh, the human animal is the only animal that is born premature. You know, giraffes have babies and they're walking within the next, you know, day. All mm -hmm. mammals are walking within the next day. Exactly. Except for humans. So humans are predetermined to be evolutionary outliers when it comes to growth. I do not ever want to say to anybody, do not be concerned with that because we will just do it. The concern is what makes it valid. Worrying about your children, worrying about the advancement of humanity, worrying about the bullshit and the recycling and the, the, the climate change and all that stuff. That's what makes us good. Because we understand that we need to slow down a little bit, or at least to be aware of it. And I think that caring about our kids and making our kids aware of all that is what makes us the top of the food chain, aside from bacteria, who has no care or want. They just want to eat buck. It's like going to it's like going to Burning Man. There's no art. There's art at Burning Man. I don't know. There's an art they just want to eat. Yeah, that's fair. I think that it's a tough time to be a parent, but it's always been a tough time to be a parent because we think about ourselves for X amount of years and then we create something and become our own gods and then we care about it immediately and disassociate ourselves from our, the reality that we were in prior to it. And we're not good at that. Before children, we are X. After children, we are a completely different thing. You're not supposed to outgrow your kids. That's a fucking weight on the shoulder of someone who's trying to exist. There's a responsibility behind that. What do you mean you're not supposed to outgrow your kids? You're not supposed to live longer than your children. Oh. Your children should watch you well, die. It's heartbreaking when that happens. Yeah. It happens already. When I was in university, my mom lost one of her best friends to cancer. Uh, passed away from cancer, and she was one of four siblings that had passed away. And so her parents were in their late 90s, and they had lost all four of their children. They had lived, outlived every single one of them. And so I started writing to them and sending them newspaper clippings and photographs and little poems and cookies. And, and I'd get letters back. And there's this one letter that I remember where they had had, I think it was a pear tree in their backyard, and it had never blossomed. And Two years after their daughter had died, mm -hmm. it blossomed on the anniversary of her passing. And it ended up being in the local newspaper. You know, when a community newspaper is still a community newspaper, and the significant moments of the people that lived amongst you were more important than 
It was something that was happening on the other side of the world. And uh, it's sort of that reminder. You, just, you, you don't. You don't want to have your. You don't want to elder your children. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you're not in control of that. Well, you're not in control of that, and you also don't want them to, you know, have to deal with the pain of loss either. But there's no, there's no, there's no good way for death to come. That's true. Other than maybe in your sleep without pain. Yeah, but like funerals are for the living. There's no way to prepare anybody for death. No. What are you working on right now as a parent? What is something that you think you're doing? You're working towards? I'm trying to be more in the moment and get, you know, my son has decided that school is for learning and that mommy is for fun. And so I often want to teach him, you know, what he learns. Uh, He learns a couple words in French and then I want to teach him a few more. And he says, mommy, that's what my teacher's for. (laughs) Why would I be going to school when you could just teach me? So I'm trying to... uh, Relax and take it in and have a little bit more fun with him and be a little less calculated about our time together because I am no longer in charge. And so sometimes we just destroy the kitchen with baking. Delicious baking. (laughs) And sometimes we destroy the living room with a craft project. And I don't get around to putting things back together, but I am sure that our lives are both better because of it. Describe your perfect night with your children. Well, I don't know if there's a perfect night with them, but... Describe your perfect (laughs) night. Well, I will describe some of my favorite nights with them. Is that okay? No. The perfect... Of course, of course. I don't know what the perfect night is. you know, the perfect night probably starts with my son actually eating vegetables. Yeah. That would be a great start. We had a close proximity to him willingly eating vegetables about four days ago, and I'm still living on a dream with that one. <laughs> um, but we're probably sitting at the piano and singing some songs, and we're definitely sitting in the tent or propped up in the bed with a stack of 10 or 20 books, which we do on a regular basis, and reading together. Both the kids are still nursing, and so at the times where it's still comfortable nursing one or the other and having them close and warm and being able to keep them safe and being able to nourish them and being able to love them, that's just a perfect night to me. Yeah. Also, if no one poops in the tub. <laughs> that happened once, and I was scared. And no one pees on the floor. Again, you snuck up on me. And it's especially great if nobody picks up any toy and smashes it over someone else's head. That would be great. Don't get in my way now. <laughs> what is your favorite thing about being a mom? Mm. I think 
My favorite thing about being a mom is the purpose and the comfort and the sense of just being that has come. Mm-hmm. I think previously... Like in the moment? Like a, yeah, that sort of like... Because I've spent my, not my entire life, but two-thirds of my life just calculated on getting to the next hour, surviving, mm-hmm. having children has meant reprioritizing where I focus. I'm a way better employee. Mm-hmm. I'm a far more compassionate and empathetic and understanding and tolerant um, human being. Mm -hmm. I am, I've always been endlessly optimistic, Mm -hmm. Um, but now I get to share that perspective with two little people that I can just just catch a glimpse out of them and just feel so warm and feel so much love and so much pride. And I can't, I can't ever express just the joy that washes over me in the time that I get to spend with them. When I, when I leave in the morning for work and they're both begging me to stay and they're screaming, mommy, don't go, don't leave, I want you, stay. It breaks my heart. And then I go to work, and if I'm going to break my kid's heart, then I am going to put everything I possibly can into my work day so that every moment I have spent apart from them is worth it, is valid. It has made somebody else's life better. That there's there's a purpose for it that if I wasn't there, people would notice. And then when I'm driving up at night and the kids are standing in the window and the littlest one is jumping up and down and you can tell she's screaming, mommy. And the big one is running back and forth on the couch and waving and jumping and obviously yelling that mommy's home. I am beside myself with love and just feeling needed and wanted and whole and a validation of your efforts well just a validation of myself as a human i i do not in any way shape or form think that everybody needs to procreate Mm -hmm. and at the same time I cannot imagine my life now without having had children. And if I had had children in my 20s and it was as extraordinary as it has been at this point now, I probably would have 17 kids. I would just be one big baby maker because it's just... uh, squishing them when they're little and watching them... Lift their head for the first time and roll over for the first time and sit up for the first time and walk and eat and start to string words together. And the first time they say mommy and the first time they say I love you, it's it's like nothing else. 
I'd like to thank Andrew Paul for producing this episode. I'd also like to thank the Edmonton Community Foundation for the recording space and the support. I'd also also like to thank Nathaniel Sutton of Brother Octopus slash Defend the Rhino slash whatever it is the heck he's working on for the intro music. You can find me at theundad.com or online at theundad on Twitter or just type in theundad on Facebook. Or you can email me at trent at thetrentwilkie.com. Or you can just see me on the street and give me a way too long hug. Could you introduce yourself one more time, please? I'm Elizabeth Wilkie. I'm your wife. What else are you? I am a mother. I am mommy. I am mom. You like music. Yeah, I like music. You like art. I do. You like horror movies. I do not like horror movies. What? There is not... I cannot squish my head between my arms and hide my eyes enough to make horror movies okay. My favorite movie is The Black Crystal. Oh, God. The Dark Crystal. Well, obviously I don't watch all the whole movies. The Black Crystal is a completely different movie. <laughs>